the offseason never sleeps, and neither do we here on Kevin's Corner. We are back, another edition of Kevin's Corner. We appreciate everyone listening. Throughout the offseason, we'll be once a week, potentially twice a week, if uh, things get crazy. I would say they've been steady so far, yeah. and uh, I think they'll continue to be steady, honestly, really through the draft. I'm Kevin Bowen. Back, Chris Presley, on this Tuesday around noontime we are recording. What were your thoughts, Chris, on a Tom Brady-Patrick Mahomes weekend? It's uh, it's going to be a fun one, that's for sure. I thought it was you know, kind of fitting that you might see the torch passed. Yeah. From one AFC great to another. I know as Colts fans we don't necessarily like to pay as much respect to Tom Brady as it's mm. probably deserved, mm. but... He's damn good. Uh, it is it is cool to see you know the first team playing in their home stadium and whatnot. But I'm obviously going to be pulling for the Chiefs. Yeah, same. Um, but yeah, it was a fun game. What were your thoughts? Yeah, you know I um I thought those throws Brady made in the first half on third down were just massive. Mm-hmm. I mean those were not easy throws at all. And then I thought Bruce Arians showed why he has a you know what bigger than I think anyone else in the league. And that might sound a bit graphic early in the podcast, but that's <laughs> BA, man. Yep. And I love Bruce Arians and was fortunate to, you know, work a little bit alongside him back in that 2012 season and just <laughs> he is exactly who he is. I and mean, what you see is certainly who he is behind the scenes and things like that and we talk about aggression and I thought the whole game changed really at the end of the first half. You know, we'll we'll talk endlessly about the fourth and goal from the nine decision, mm-hmm. you got to come back from three scores down. I mean, yeah, that that's a challenge. Now, did you have two interceptions and you go three and out after those and all that? But I thought the game just totally changed right there at the end of the first half. Rogers pick could have been holding on Tampa, then to go for it on the fourth down. You know, when Brady's sitting on the bench at mm-hmm. that point, and Arians takes that time out, and then obviously that uh, that kill shot to Scotty Miller. That's that's the game right there. Um, Scotty Miller is that the kid's name? Yeah, yeah. I was Fast, real quick. Yeah, we had a kicker in high school named Scotty Miller. I was like, all right, and I'm just making sure I'm not thinking of him. Um, and then the second game, you know, Buffalo, you can't kick two field goals inside the whatever, inside the thirty, inside the. They might have even been shorter than that, twenty and twenty-seven. I think they were, and you had chances. You know, Kansas City gave you the gift early in that game, but I just thought the moment might have been a little bit too big for Buffalo and that yeah. getting to that level. And uh, getting to that stage, Kansas City's been there now three straight years. So, mm-hmm. yeah, plenty of storylines, and uh, I'm sad. We're just down to one game in the NFL season. But, uh, like I said, man, there's no uh, shortage of uh, entertainment with our uh, w- with our Colts right now. No, overall, great postseason so far in terms of the entertainment value. And, and pretty cool, you know, you mentioned obviously the, the big game left. Uh, that they're letting a lot of the medical workers yeah, go down and, ex- and experience that. Yeah, yeah I think 22,000, I believe, mm-hmm. in the building. Down there in Tampa, and then yeah, seventy five hundred um, first line healthcare workers, which is awesome by the NFL. And you guys have heard me say this before. I think it, the, the league deserves a lot of credit for pulling this off. And um, yeah, it'll be a long wait till February, whatever it is. But excited to watch it, and um, excited for this podcast. We're gonna hit on. Um, I guess there's quarterback news. There is. <laughs> uh, it's not been a, it's not been a slow off season for the Colts by any means. No, and, and you know I, I said on last week's podcast I don't want to touch on quarterback every single pod. Um, I lied. Uh, we're going to be touching on it on, on this podcast, and we're going to be hitting on it pretty hard, honestly, just with the Matthew Stafford news over the weekend, and and, and I, I do have a little bit of Philip Rivers additional info that we'll get to in Twitter questions. Um, Chris, I honestly had in my mind after Wednesday's podcast. Like, okay, next week, 
Let's talk edge rusher and cornerback. Mm-hmm. Two needs, uh, two debatable topics that are important. They're not maybe as important as quarterback, but like they're still topics that I want to talk about. So for now, we will uh, table that for next week's podcast. But um, again, a little bit of coaching news, a little bit of quarterback news that we'll hit on before uh, Twitter questions. Yeah, so let's jump right in and start right there in terms of the some of the most recent news, obviously, and the, the changing of the guard at the offensive coordinator position, Nick Sirianni going to the Eagles. And kind of just let us know, Kevin, if people had to Google who Marcus Brady is. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure people did. Um, you know, Marcus Brady's a former CFL coach that has been at the Colts for three years now, quarterbacks coach, and gets a promotion to be OC. I, I don't think this is, like, groundbreaking by any means. You know, you guys have heard me talk about this a lot. This is Frank Reich's offense. This is Frank Reich's system. He's the play caller. Mm-hmm. Does your offense coordinator matter? Sure. Does it matter in a lot of other places more so than it does here in Indianapolis? Without a doubt. And so I think Marcus Brady um, is very similar to Frank Reich in temperament, which I'm kind of curious how that'll go. You know, I think Marcus Brady comes from a very different background than Frank Reich in the coaching world. But, again, from a temperament standpoint, they're, they're, they're pretty similar. Mm-hmm. And I think Nick Sirianni is a little bit different. You know, Nick was pretty even-keeled during the week, but on game days, that's a fiery dude. That dude isn't afraid to chirp at some other people on uh, on opposing teams and whatnot. So, um you know, what can Brady, I guess, counter with Reich? I think the offensive coordinator is in this position when you're not the play caller and it's not your offense. You're a sounding board. And, you know, how do your new ideas mesh? Um, can you not be a yes man, you know, in, in that position? Just, you know, kind of be a bit of a contrarian of, okay, these are new ideas. Have we thought about this? What if, you know, they decide to bring, you know, they flip TJ Watt to the other side? You know, how do we protect that? And I guess that's part of Brady's duties. He's been a big pass protection plan guy that's kind of been on his um, responsibility list with Ryan Kelly and either Jacoby Brissett or Phillip Rivers or Andrew Luck, whoever's been the starter. Um, Obviously a ton of hands-on work with Jacob Eason off to the side before games this season. Mm -hmm. And I think he's big on the fundamentals of the quarterback position. Remember when Luck came back in 2018, Andrew was so, so focused on building that ground up, building the new base, starting there with his fundamentals. I think he helped Jacoby a little bit with footwork as well. You know, Rivers maybe not as much, but uh, that is kind of a big aspect to him. So, again, this is not earth-shattering news. It would be much, much bigger if Matt Eberflus was mm-hmm. leaving, and we'll see how the Houston job plays out. But I don't know. It seems like they might be going in a different direction there. Who knows? Um so, yeah, this is, you know, it's notable because it's a title change. And honestly, it's really notable to me, Chris, in that I can't believe the Eagles hired Nick Sirianni. And that will sound like a shot at Nick. Um, I don't want it to sound like a shot at him. It's just that's they are taking a risk. You know, I, I think Nick is a tremendous human. Um, I think he's super relatable and super personable and very down to earth, just like a dude you want to go have. Mm-hmm. You know, several beers with, honestly, um, which that will help, I think, to be very relatable in an NFL locker room. But have we ever had a Monday podcast where we've called out Nick Sirianni? Right. No. No. Like his accountability, and he might feel accountability, but it's one thing to feel it internally. It's another thing to wake up in the morning and be like, oh, honey, did you see the news? Oh, did you check, you know, your wife's Twitter mentions? Did. 
you know, the kids come back from school and they're getting ripped because daddy made the wrong play call. This is Philadelphia, folks. This isn't Jacksonville. You aren't, you know, you aren't hiding from anything there. So that is what is surprising to me of just, again, the accountability that he has had on his plate as a head coach is non-existent, obviously. Mm -hmm. As a play caller is non-existent, something he never did. You know, Frank never even wanted him to call plays in the preseason. Sometimes you see... Uh, offensive coordinators, you know, maybe call plays in the final game of the preseason or something like that. So, uh, but it goes to show you, man, offensive minds. Yeah, it's what this league is all about. And here's Carson Wentz, and you need to resurrect that 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 project. So, again, I I, I like Nick a lot, but I got to be honest with you, I was I was surprised. And um, good for him, 39 years old, but you know, being the offensive coordinator and living in Bridgewater Golf Course and in, in, in Westfield <laughs> and just you know, kind of having it. A little bit behind the scenes is certainly different from uh, the old uh, NFC East and the uh, the Philly market. Yeah, I would agree because, like you mentioned, he's not going to he's going to a place that's pretty turbulent at the moment, mm. and he's got already a quarterback controversy that he's going to have to handle right out of the gate, and a fan base that is wondering what the heck happened over a three year span of, to put us here. And, and one more thing, Chris, before we move on, I'm going to fill in for JMV on Friday from. Um, Three to six on our station, one zero seven five, the fan, and uh, we're gonna have Marcus Brady on. Oh, nice. uh, During that show, uh, first segment. So if you know, if you guys have any questions or any, anything you're curious about, Marcus is a really nice guy, and and usually re- relatively expansive with his answers as well. So feel free to shoot me a DM or something that you might want to know, because again, like you said, Chris, I don't think there's a whole lot that e- even I know, to be honest with you, about his responsibilities. I know mm-hmm. a little bit, but um, he has been behind the scenes like any NFL assistant would be. Well, yeah, so everyone tune into that. You can go to 1075thefan.com if you're not from the local Indianapolis market, uh, 3 to 6, like Kevin said, on Friday. Let's talk about a guy that Mar- Marcus Brady might be dealing a Ooh. lot with next year. Hey, now, that's a segue. Matthew Stafford. Now, there have been rumblings. It's gotten a little bit louder as this week's gone on. Let's just talk about if if we want him, what we think of him, how he could he possibly take us to a Super Bowl? Where's he at? Yeah. Um, when did this break? Saturday, Sunday, something like that? Yeah, this weekend sometime. Yeah, so that's when I quickly shift my mind. To, okay, um, we'll be spending a little bit more time <laughs> on uh, on old Matthew Stafford on Tuesday's podcast. I will have a little bit more when we get into Twitter questions on this, Chris, but let me start here with Stafford. Everyone knows that I've been team draft, and I am team draft. I just think that is the... Um, that's what it takes to truly feel good long term. But when you combine the two things of the best and most realistic option, I think Matthew Stafford answers that that question here in 2021. Again, the most realistic, mm-hmm. i.e. Rogers, Watson, you know, probably out the window. And the best option. You know, I still think Dak Prescott gets re-signed by by Dallas. You know, I, you could argue, I guess, Dak and, and and Stafford. But to me, I really like Matthew Stafford as a football player. And you know, on the surface, does he have a handful of years left? You know, you'd hope. I mean, he's only thirty-two. So um, to me, it checks a lot of important boxes. Again, if I were ranking how I would want the Colts to address quarterback, number one would still be through the draft. But like a 1A, knowing full well that it's a lot less risky than going through the draft would be Matthew Stafford. So I like it. I think he should be pursued, and 
now to me it comes down to are you willing to get into a bidding war? Because I think he's going to be very sought after. And what is Detroit looking for? Mm-hmm. I think that's another aspect to this at all. But I guess let's let's start with, with Stafford. Um, certainly proven in the NFL. I actually went back, and Rosie Bell woke up pretty early Sunday morning, so I went back and watched the Colts-Lions game on, uh, on Sunday. And I guess what I am reminded of with Stafford is he gives you two elements to the quarterback position, Chris, that you didn't have last season. And again, Phillip Rivers did a lot of good for this football team, and there are areas that Phillip Rivers is better than Matthew Stafford. But when you looked at limitations of quarterback, one was how big the arm was and how vertical you felt like you could challenge defenses. Stafford unquestionably checks that box. And two, you forget that Stafford can make a few more plays with his legs and he gets credit for. He ran 4-8 at the 40. Is he freaking, you know, Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen? Hell no. But there's just some subtleties in the plays he's able to keep alive that, again, Rivers was stuck in mud in that pocket. So I think that is enticing, that there is a little bit more to be offered at the quarterback position. Is the floor maybe as high as it was with Rivers? Eh, maybe not. I don't think it's like that that much lower with Stafford at quarterback. But I think the ceiling is is higher. I think Matthew Stafford gives you more potential at quarterback than Phillip Rivers gave this team last season and would give this team in, um, in 2021. And, and so I guess... You know, the questions that I always get is, does he get you over the hump? And the hump being, I guess, making a January playoff run. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he gets you to the Super Bowl, Chris. But again, to me, he gives you more potential to possibly be talking about the Colts on January 26, 2022, than a Philip Rivers-led Colts team would have given you that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So that's how I look at um, Stafford. Um, you love the amount of comebacks. That's something as well, Chris. That's probably an element that, you know, we certainly questioned here on this podcast about Phillip and and could you lead those? Now, has Matthew Stafford done in the month of January? No. And that's certainly an elephant in the room. Uh, you'd argue what type of support has he had? Mm-hmm. I think he's only had... I think his decade long with the Lions, he only had one rusher of over 900 yards in a season. Yeah, and that was Reggie Bush when they really should have beat Dallas. You know, in that in that playoff game, a terrible call. I think a pass interference call in that game, but um, you know, just not a lot of support around him. Um, so I think that's something that you have to keep in mind as well. So look, this is not a perfect. You're getting to the Super Bowl. You're beating the Chiefs. You know, in the AFC title game next year, whatever. But again, I think it gives you. More hope. It's going to be interesting if the Colts do get Stafford. In the locker room, you're going to have Jacob Eason, former Georgia Bulldog, who's compared to Matthew Stafford, yeah. and both wear number nine. Ooh, <laughs> I didn't even think about that. So there's going to Jacob Eason might be getting a little bit of money to, yeah. to trade that number out. I was going to say, Jacob, yeah, start looking at um, <laughs> uh, at other numbers there. You know, Chris, I, I just think um, there's just a little bit more pop, just a higher ceiling. And, I mean, you know me. I'm so big on that especially at that position. You know, I went back and, and, and you know, did a little bit more kind of research around that Colts-Lions game from last year, and I was reminded of of um, what Reich talked about, about Matthew Stafford, and I posted an article up on 107.5thefan.com, and for those that haven't seen it now, feel free to check that out. And Reich specifically talks about Stafford as a quarterback, and it's the arm talent. It's the elite arm talent 
It's the throws that he makes that not a lot of guys can make in this league of, oh, yeah, every guy has arm talent to a degree. That dude has elite arm talent. And Frank was, and I don't know if people will remember this, unless you had somebody on on your fantasy football team, you probably don't. But the Lions came back and beat the Falcons last year in a thrilling finish the week before they played the Colts. Mm -hmm. So I I think I had this right. They're down six, uh, 20-some seconds to go, no timeouts, and they're 40 yards away from the end zone. (laughs) That's not good. I mean, if this was the Colts, it'd be like, well, um, sideline, (laughs) sideline, and you hope the Hail Mary can get to the end zone. And Stafford sits back in that pocket. And he throws a ball over the middle of the field to Kenny Galladay. Yep. That Galladay had no – I mean, Galladay was stunned when the ball got to him. And it hit him right in between the one and the eight. I think that's Galladay's number. 19, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Like, just a perfectly timed thrown ball at that moment of the game when time and score and all of that has, is just in flames. All of that is around you, and you're thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, how is this going to work? There's no chance the Lions are going to come back. And Stafford rifles this ball in there with Falcons defenders mm-hmm. around him. It was a tight window to squeeze that ball in. Sprints up. Ball is spiked. There's kind of chaos on the spike, people offsides and whatnot. And then the next play, they have, I think it's like two seconds, three seconds to go in the ball game. And he just makes that subtle movement with his legs. Again, it's not a full-on scramble, but it's a let's slide to the left. Yep. And that all of a sudden changes the X's and O's of the play to scramble drill, and TJ Hawkinson breaks free, and there's a game-winning touchdown. Right. Chris, you hate to boil it down to one play, one game, one moment, but like that is what the Colts didn't have last year. And again, Rivers did a lot of good. And he is, I think, a little bit more consistent quarterback. But a lot of things have to be in place for Rivers to excel. If you provide Matthew Stafford with those same things, can you reach a level with this offense and team overall that um, you couldn't reach with Rivers? And and basically, Reich was obsessed with the throw to Galladay. He's like, that throw in that moment, that's what this guy is. He makes those throws in critical situations. I think he's seventh in NFL history in most fourth-quarter comebacks. And you look at the names above him, Peyton, Brady, Breeze, Unitas, Roethlisberger, Marina. I mean, like, yeah. and again, are we saying Matthew Stafford is a first-ballot Hall of Fame quarterback? Hell no. But the dude's done a lot of good in the NFL. So um, it, it's not as Band-Aid as I think a Matt Ryan would be, or certainly a Rivers would be. I mean, again, 32, 33, he's battled some injuries. Like, you can't overlook that. He's battled several injuries. He often suits up. His toughness, I mean, there was a great clip that went around um, on Saturday as well when all this broke. I don't know if you saw it. Did you see the clip from, like, his rookie? I think it was a rookie year against the Browns. Did you see this? I did not. So, you know. I remember early in his career, he – I felt like early in his career, I remember thinking, man, is this kid going to last because he got hurt a couple times. Yeah, it was um I think it I think it was the Browns game, but the Lions are terrible. And they're down late in the game and Stafford gets smoked. Just smoked. And he's wince and he's mic'd up and he's wincing and like can barely get to the sideline. The doctors are coming out there. I mean it's bad. And he's trying to be like, I gotta go back in. I got oh, yeah, like, yeah, no, I no, no, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, Jim Schwartz or somebody takes a timeout and like just the name Jim Schwartz. Another thing. <laughs> 
L- look at Stafford's coaches. Right. Like again, people criticized Frank because that's what they want to do. He's gotten quarterbacks to play at a very high level throughout his tenure, and I think would do the same with Matthew. I'm calling him Matthew like I'm his friend. Um, all of a sudden, Schwartz takes a timeout. Stafford's like, I can go back in. He goes back in and throws the game winner. That's right. I forgot about that. I just think there's a level of toughness that he brings as well that in that market maybe we just don't talk about enough. So um, I think Frank can strike the balance with Stafford of, okay, we can get him to be a little bit of a higher percentage guy, which you know we saw Lux percentage come up. We saw even Rivers come up from where he had been, get Stafford there, but then still use the vertical nature that this offense I think just truly lacked last season. So a very affordable cap situation, two more years. Um, I think it checks a lot of boxes, man, a lot of boxes. And uh, I saw a couple numbers where I think the Lions dropped the most balls of any team in the league. That's exactly what I was about to say. When Stafford, yep. Now, is that some of that Stafford's 99-mile-per-hour fastball? Maybe, but still. Um, this past year, they were terrible defense, special teams-wise, provide support. So, um, again, I don't think this move all of a sudden means, boom, Colts, final two teams in the AFC. Like, there's a lot of other things you got to take care of this offseason, but it gives you a higher potential at that position. And it could for the next handful of years. Um, so, yeah, best, most realistic option to me, Chris. I like it. We'll get into a little bit more compensation and some other Stafford stuff and Twitter questions, but, um, you know, when you're ranking the available realistic QBs, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Is there someone else that's that's, that's caught your eye? I, I, I just, I mean, sure, Watson and Rivers are all dreams. Like, um, yeah. Yeah, and I don't want Darnold. I don't no, want Wentz. No. Um, thoughts on... Dorsey going to Detroit, does that, you know, that there's been rumbles about if that helps the Colts with leverage? Yes. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. Okay. Do you think the Lions owe Matthew Stafford anything? Like, do you, do you think that they owe him, hey, you're going to have say in where you go? Um, It all depends. I think if a, a guy like that. That's a really nice thing to do. Who's battled it out in that, like you said, in that environment with multiple coach, coaches and always being on a pretty crappy team more or less yeah it would be a, a nice way to let someone exit without there being bad blood there right. at the end yeah i mean what ursay paid andrew luck how much money yeah <laughs> 20 some million yeah. you know like i guess stafford isn't getting that but um i think in an ideal world you know you're brad holmes a new gm you're dan campbell new head coach you'd move out of, out of the nfc now it's interesting i think when you make a list of teams that would want Matthew Stafford, I could list more NFC teams than AFC teams. You know, New Orleans, Washington, Carolina, San Francisco, um, AFC teams, you know, it's Colts, Steelers, Patriots, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know, maybe Denver. I, 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 I don't know. I just feel like you could name a little bit more in the NFC. Um, who knows what will what, happen with the, uh, with the Falcons and whatnot. But I guess it's – is Detroit – solely in the business to find the highest bidder. Is that all they care about? Like, right. hell, we'll trade into the freaking Bears for all we care, but if we get the right compensation, we're good. Um, I think that is something that's interesting as well um, because I just – part of me thinks Chris Ballard in a bidding war 
that's just not his mo. You know, like would he sit at? Would would he get to a price point where it's like you know, kind of like the Landon Collins thing? You know, Landon Collins got to what eighty some million. Okay, too too rich, right. too rich. But does quarterback mean that much? Are you in a much more desperate mode than you are in when it's when it's free agency as well? I think those um, those are some honest conversations as well that 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 you have to have. So, um, you know, I think a first and a third that makes sense to me. But again, if all of a sudden you start competing with another team, and you know what, Stafford's from Dallas, he's you know, played at Georgia. I don't know. There's not a lot of like, you know, when you talk about Rodgers and, you know, people have always oh, got a home in Southern California. He's from the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Okay. San Francisco. What about the Rams if they, you know, are done with golf, something like that? I don't know if there's that obvious of landing spots for Stafford, you know, when you try to connect like home dots to him. I think Indianapolis would be pretty enticing. They, they seem to have enjoyed living in Detroit for what it's worth. Right. I mean, um, it, you know, whatever Midwest town and whatnot. So, but I think that is something, Chris, that is the unknown in this of Brad Holmes comes from the Rams. Dan Campbell, you know, comes from what New Orleans and Miami. Like there's just no tie. Like they have no ties to Matthew. They, they don't owe Matthew Stafford anything. Now lines ownership clearly feels like they do. They mm-hmm. are collaborating on this. And I think Stafford informed them before you know, Holmes is hired and Campbell is hired that, like, this is something Stafford wants to explore. But how much does that weigh in on this decision-making process? Like, this isn't a Watson thing where it's a no-trade clause and potentially he could decide, really, where he goes. Um, So I think that is just kind of an unknown aspect to all of this, Chris, that that we have to acknowledge. Yeah, makes makes sense. Should we jump into Twitter questions, Kevin? Yes, let's, let's do it. All right, this first one comes from Devin. Any chance if the Packers are shopping Rodgers that Ballard trades his soul? Do <laughs> you think Aaron Rodgers has a soul? I think he does. He's he's a unique individual. He him? is. Uh, recently donated about half a million to the Barstool Fund, which was Did good he really? On, good that much? Him. Yeah. Wow, I didn't realize it was that much. Yeah. Um, I know you've watched the McAfee stuff with him every week. I mean, he's great. I mean, he's... Very honest, and and I guess that's where you have to start, Chris, with the words he chose after Sunday's game. Aaron Rodgers doesn't remind me of Peyton Manning in a lot of ways. He reminds me of Peyton Manning in that they know full well the words coming out of their mouth and what they mean. Like, mm-hmm. Paul George, no. Right. Victor Oladipo, no. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, yes. Like, he knew full—and it's the exact opposite of what he said last year after they got their ass kicked by the 49ers in the NFC title game. He talked about the future. He talked about growing with with, with Green Bay, things like that. Um, now, do I think this is fixable? Certainly. But, you know, it's at least okay, I guess, to have the conversation. And certainly, you know, I would explore what the trade. Now, the cap hit would be much bigger than Stafford. Stafford, I want to say, like, the yearly cash He's owed the next two years like 23 and 20. Yeah. I mean, that's cheaper than Rivers. Oh, yeah. So that's very manageable. Now, you know, would you throw him a new contract? Who knows? Obviously, Rodgers. I mean, that's, I think, north of 30. So that would be a different animal. Of course, Rodgers is the MVP of the league and whatnot. Um, one last thing on that Green Bay game. Again, I know that we always talk about that fourth and nine play, but it, it, I just keep on coming back to it, Chris. Like, you know, what? Equinemia St. Brown dropping a two-point conversion. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, Aaron Jones fumbling on the first drive yeah. of the second half. I We get so 
Like, and when we started the, uh, the, the Monday morning radio show, all of a sudden one of our hosts just like, all, all he wants to talk about is the fourth and nine play. I'm like, okay, that's, that is a play that we should talk about. But there are seven or eight others in that game that have put them into a situation where, you know how hard it is to convert a fourth and goal from the nine? Mm-hmm. The percentages of that have to be, like, extremely yeah. – Now, what I've gone for, yes. Like, you're in kind of a desperate mode at that point. But the percentages of that are so small. Like, fourth and goal from the nine is a lot different than fourth and nine from the 37. You know, the field has shrunk big yep. time. And, you know, obviously on the third and goal – and. I don't say this because I had Aaron Rodgers' rushing touchdown as part of my parlay or anything. <laughs> but on third and goal, I'm yelling, run! Yes. Even to get it into fourth and manageable, right. if you know, if, if if nothing else there. But uh, that's me venting. Sorry. <laughs> All right, let's go to Chris, who has a question about Stafford already. So we're going to jump right in. Stafford seems like the Colts' best options for the short-term improvement at quarterback this offseason, but it'll be in high demand. Do you think a less than elite option like Fitzpatrick or Andy Dalton could get the Colts back to the playoffs? Wait, what was the phrase he used there to describe Fitzpatrick and Dalton? Less than elite options. <laughs> that's a great little phrase, you know. That sounds like a PR person wrote that. Less than elite. You know, I think I'm a good dad. I don't know, maybe a good husband, but I maybe refer to myself as less than elite. <laughs> you know, that could mean horrific. Or it could mean, it's well, true. you know, really good. Um, I mean, let's be honest. Ryan Fitzpatrick and Andy Dalton are m- mediocre, average, <laughs> not great, not bad. <laughs> like, yeah, well, but Chris, I, I, I laughed at that um, that phraseology there. Um, You know, Chris, I, I appreciate the question, but, like, is this where we're at as a friend? I mean, like, Fitzpatrick and Dalton? You're trying to win Super Bowls here. I right. mean, God bless both those guys, and they've had respectable careers. I would say Fitzpatrick probably more so than Dalton. Dalton was, a, what, a high second-round pick. But still, I mean, like, to me it's this, man. You, you, you're all in and believing that this quarterback that you sign or trade for can lead you to a Super Bowl, or you embrace youth. And to me, Fitzpatrick and Dalton could not be any more. I don't know. Maybe the Colts could get in the playoffs, but that's way too much pressure on the rest of the football team mm-hmm. to get there. So, no, in no way she – like – Honestly, Chris, and I'm talking to you, Chris Presley, if you can't get Stafford, I'd probably just go all in on the draft. Right. And I, and, and I, I don't know if the Colts would do that. That's me talking. But, like, to me, I don't know. None of those other guys are that enticing me. Could you win eight games with Ryan Fitzpatrick? Nine? I, sure. Andy Dalton? But I don't not to mention, that's just a boring product to watch. I guess yeah. Fitzpatrick's kind of crazy, but I, I don't know. It's, um, no. This next one's from Josh. If Stafford comes to Indy, does that seal the deal on Indy as the best quarterback franchise in league history? Mentions Unitas, Harbaugh, Manning, Luck, Rivers, and Stafford mm. beats any other city, right? Closest they can think of is Green Bay, maybe San Francisco. Might be true even if you don't count Unitas. Wow, um, interesting. My mind certainly didn't go here with Stafford, but mm-hmm. um, you know, I appreciate Josh going there. Yeah, I guess you wouldn't count Unitas, right? I mean, that's Baltimore Colts. Um, yeah, Josh. Again, I haven't given it too much thought. I would say I don't know. Maybe you need a few more Super Bowls just to like capture it. But I mean, you talk individual quarterbacks and like the resume. Yeah, I mean, what Manning's a Hall of Famer, obviously. I was. I mean, I assume Rivers is going to be a Hall of Famer. 
you know, Stafford is out just, you know, outside looking in. We'll see what happens in this final, you know, five ish years of his career. Luck not a Hall of Famer, but you know, really good quarterback in his own right. So yeah, I don't um I don't know, like Dallas, uh, uh, Staubach, and Aikman, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, you know, who knows if Dak leads him to a Super Bowl or something. That probably will never happen. But, yeah, Josh, um, sure. Granted, people in New England might just say, oh, well, let's look at Tom Brady's resume compared to everyone else combined. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that. Right. I mean, trust me, I, I, I was cheering for the Packers as much as anyone else in this market. But how can you not just have – you to me at least I I can speak for myself and some people can't get there which is perfectly fine. I have just the utmost respect for Tom Brady as a professional athlete, football player, whatever. And like I can also equally cheer against them. Mm-hmm. But holy, sh- I mean, yeah. ten freaking Super Bowls. You know how hard that like right now. If your buddy was like, "Hey, I'll bet you Patrick Mahomes over under seven and a half Super Bowl appearances." Right, you're thinking that's that's an absurd that's number. That's an absurd number. Yeah. Like, well, you know, like seven and a half, and I'm not even saying, you know, and that's like, you know, when Tiger won his first Masters and Nicholas is like, oh, he's going to win ten of these. I mean, <laughs> Tiger's won, what, five and that, six? I mean, that's 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 incredible. Right. Um, but it's not ten. Like, and, and football is just a totally different animal. So, yeah, I'm sorry for praising Brady, but. I don't know. He he might have cheated in that AFC title game, but yeah, boy, Belichick can't be happy. No. <laughs> All right, this one's from Cody. It says, wouldn't it make sense for Detroit to trade Stafford out of the NFC into the AFC? Also, a lot of people are saying trade a first for him, but I don't think it'll take that much. Every time I see a big player traded, it's always a lot less than what I think the player is worth. Mm-hmm. What do you think it would take? Thanks. Love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Appreciate that, Cody. Um, first off, several good points in here, Chris. I would say, yeah, I would. Ninety-five percent of the time, I see NFL trades with players, and I'm like, wait, what? That's all that player's worth? Yeah. <laughs> DeAndre Hopkins probably comes to the forefront of that. But let's be honest, quarterbacks are different, and we don't really see quarterback trades, Chris. No, you don't. I mean, really at all. Uh, you know, the last major one, unless I'm forgetting one, it's like you know, you go back to Cutler or. Yeah, and that was a big package, and and again, I'm probably probably forgetting an obvious one between now and then. So, um, I think that when you look at where you're at and who would be pursuing him, it's got to take at least a first. I'd be stunned. I mean, it's an affordable contract. It's a guy that's 32 years old. And there's going to be a lot of people in demand because the quarterback market sucks this year. Right. So I, I just think it's going to take a first and a third, and we'll see. I mean, you know, some people have thrown out, like, would you trade a player? I, I don't know if we had that in our Twitter questions this week. You know, is that get thrown into the mix at all? I know it's different than, like, the packages we've seen for uh, Jamal Adams, Khalil Mack, even DeForest Buckner. Right. Yeah, I mean, different ages, different positions and whatnot. But, Chris, I'd be stunned. Stunned if uh, Matthew Stafford went for less than a first-rounder. This next one comes from Jason. He says, Ballard said the Colts and Rivers were going to take a month to go back and talk. Five days later, Rivers retires. Do you think Ballard had an opportunity to come up for someone better? If It would it, it would certainly be like Ballard to tell Rivers so he retires on his own versus being shut out in the cold. All right. 
Terrific question, Jason. And, and this is, I guess, our, our our little bit of Rivers, you know, info here. Um, you know, when the whole Rivers retirement went down, and like I said, you know, getting some crickets on trying to confirm things, I thought back to the Andrew Luck retirement and how that went. It really was kind of an abomination of, of mm-hmm. how that news broke. You know, they hoped to have the press conference on Friday, and then Oliver Luck couldn't get into town, so then all of a sudden you're – you're playing a preseason game on Saturday and Scheffner's leaving his, you know, mother-in-law's birthday dinner in New York <laughs> and, you know, whatever. He's going outside, he's breaking the news. And next thing you know, Andrew Luck is getting booed walking off field. Like, yeah, just and now you're having a press conference in the bowels of the stadium at 1030 on a Saturday night. And, and you know, everyone's emotional and Ballard and Reich and Ursay, especially Ballard, looks like he just, you know, just got kicked in the you-know-what. It's just... um. Rightly or wrongly, it just didn't work out well and how that news was broke. So, like, the way that the Rivers news broke, I think, is um, was pretty calculated on both parties. Yes. Of uh, The Colts really wanted this to be done Philip Rivers' way. You know, they're, and I totally get this. When you're in that position, you want to appease players. You want to make sure that uh, they feel like they're being taken care of. And when they go off into their next – Endeavor or whatever, that lasting image of the organization isn't something of like, oh yeah, the Colts just leaked this to a bunch of people and that's how it broke. Yeah. And and Philip obviously wanted to do it in a very specific way. Now, I've gone back and forth on this, Chris. Did Philip retire on his own? Or did the Colts tell him, We're gonna go in a different direction? How do you want us to handle this? And does Philip say, Oh, wow. Um, well, I guess I'll retire on my own then. Because mm-hmm. yeah, Philip made it very clear: either I play for the Colts or I'm done. Right. Like, I'm not. Yes. I'm not doing this, flying to a different city or whatever. You know, taking the bus or whatever that van was he had from San Diego to LA. Like none of that. So I and I've heard both sides of it, and I I would say I've heard additional info on the Colts told Rivers they were going in a different direction. I feel like based on the fact that he moved his family here instead of keeping them in California another year or just go ahead and already sending them down to Alabama kind of makes me feel like the Colts did tell him, hey, we're going to go in a different direction. Now, Which, that could be way off base. No, 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 no. And, and again, I'm not – I think that is a, a decent reason. There's more to it than just what you're saying there. There's, you know, it's certainly additional info that supports the Colts um, telling Rivers that, okay – we this is a two-way street in this decision-making process. Again, Rivers has a decision to make, and obviously the Colts had a decision to make in this process as well. And while Rivers was super emotional, kind of late games, things like that, he also gave every inkling of like he wanted to keep on playing. Mm-hmm. And like as long as I have the passion and I don't feel like my game is tapering off, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna play. So basically, a couple things kind of like stand out about it of. Where would the Colts have confidence in telling Rivers we're going in a different path? Trying to connect dots and all of this can be difficult, but I'm trying to. Ed Dodd's interviews with the Lions, right? Opening at GM. Lions ownership was very open with their GM candidates of Matthew Stafford is not going to be part of the future here in Detroit. So Ed Dodds knows that information. 
he interviewed. He obviously goes back to Indy and takes that information with him. Mm -hmm. So now the Colts know that Matthew Stafford is available. This all happens before Phillip Rivers decides to, again, in quotes, retire. Do the Colts then sit there internally and say, we've got a chance to go get Matthew Stafford. He's going to be on the open market. We feel like that's an upgrade over Phillip Rivers. We need to tell Phillip that we need to go in a different direction. Mm -hmm. Again, is this stamp locked in, set in stone, 100%? No. But, like, with just the lack of information we're getting on this and the fact that Phillip didn't have a press conference to announce his retirement. Like, he could have let Kevin Acey break the news and then the next day talk to local media from Indianapolis, from San Diego, get on Zoom, now you have a camera. Like, that would be very normal. I mean, you see that all – Anthony Casanzo did it. Yeah. When when he retired, is this Rivers being like, well, I, I can't lie to you guys. Like, we're going to ask him, hey, why did you retire? And, like, are you really just going to say, oh, I wanted to coach high school football, you know, 25 times, if that's not really what pushed you out the door. So, a- a- again, um, I just think that's all things to to keep in mind with this. Now, what else besides a Matthew Stafford um, – realizing he could be on the open market, what else could have assured the Colts that they had a different path? Is it Dallas saying, oh, yeah, we aren't going to sign Dak Prescott, and now all of a sudden he's on the open market? I I don't think that's it. But to me, again, it's like, okay, they feel like Stafford is going to be very available, mm-hmm. or they're locked in on trading up in the draft, which, again, all of this is going to sound very harsh, but if the Colts told Phillip Rivers we're going in a different direction— in my mind, Colts fans should be very happy. And again, that sounds harsh, but to me, you had to do something different to try and go further. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's the Colts fans should be very happy that there is a clear plan about this, and that that plan could will involve a higher ceiling at that position. Now, if you strike out on Stafford, and all of a sudden the trade up from the draft evaporates, <laughs> yeah. You know, who knows? Who knows wh- where you're at right now? But I've just heard a little bit more chatter of that they told Philip we're going in a different direction. Philip had his kids enrolled, I think, at, at uh, for high school next year here in the Indy area. I mean, again, you don't, like you said, you don't move your family yeah. up here if you really think it's going to be one year. And I just, I, I kept on coming back to this. Isn't Philip just too damn passionate? To hang it up. I mean, like, yes, he's getting emotional. He knows this could be it. I'm sure he's maybe getting an inkling. And, and I mean, we saw, and I tweeted out the screenshots of um, some of the great anecdotes that Frank Reich shared with Peter King in the Monday Morning Quarterback on Monday about Philip and, and talked about how emotional these conversations were. Well, I mean, if it's if it's this emotional, part of me knowing Frank thinks Frank had to make this decision along with Chris Bowden and Jim Irsay of, hey, we're going to go in a different direction, and that obviously is going to yeah. – Frank's going to be super emotional about it given his relationship with Phillip. So I I don't know. Maybe – and again, this is you know somewhat you know talking to people, but this is a little bit of connecting the dots as well. Uh, maybe I'm totally off base on that, but, Chris, I just think there's a little bit more evidence here. And, you know, we haven't heard from Chris Boward. We haven't heard from Frank Reich. Obviously, we didn't hear from Rivers with a conference call. Like, we haven't had a chance to get these people on the record about any of this stuff either. Um, we just go off the statements right. that, that 
that the Colts gave us. But um, like I said earlier, if this is true and that the Colts told Phillip that we're going into in a different direction, you obviously have to have a plan that you feel really good about. Mm-hmm. And the Ed Dodds thing just kind of makes a little bit of sense to me. Of he interviewed with Detroit. They tell him they're going to in a they're gonna let Stafford um, you know, whatever, be on the trade market. And now you feel good about one person that's out there. And then again, you have the draft as well if you're gonna make a move up in that realm. So um that's that's a little bit of additional info with with Rivers and that. Um, again, I, I don't know if blindsided is the right word by it, but there were Colts players that weren't surprised he retired, mm-hmm. but I think that there's a little bit more evidence to point to this could have been a push out the door yeah. than just a straight up, I'm going to retire. And, and, I have, and I really have, as much as I want the Colts to be super transparent and super honest, I really have no issue with Chris Ballard or Frank Wright going to Phillip and say, all right, we're going to go in a different direction. I know that sucks for you. How do you want us to handle it? And Phillip can go home and say, all right, um, this is what they're doing. It's not what I want, but, you know, let's kind of handle it how we want to handle it and don't need to do a huge big presser mm-hmm. and whatnot. And we'll, you know, take the kids out of school and, 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 unenroll them I guess and you know school for next year and and move on so um but boy yeah that makes sense if that's true man you better be sure that next move yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean right. it's uh you 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 really really better be sure of it but um yeah it's just something that I wanted to mention and uh interesting certainly certainly very very interesting how all that played out mm-hmm all right, we'll jump back in. With Is that the longest answer ever to a, a Twitter question in the history of the podcast? <laughs> yeah, it was a great answer. I think, you know, Colts fans are going to enjoy that portion of the podcast. And, you know, Chris, we just – and I think I speak for all my colleagues. I mean, none of my colleagues really were able yeah. to get into this story. Like, it's, it's a tough story. And trust me, there are people that I've reached out to that usually I have a decent back-and-forth relationship with that still haven't texted me back mm-hmm. about it. it. Part of me thinks – well, the silence is another indicator of it's not what maybe it looked like initially. And again, part of me is like, and this is what you hate, what I hate selfishly about the breaking news business is just because you're always chasing. Yeah. And you're always got to, okay, this agent gives you that, so now I've got to make it up for that agent. And this GM tells you this, so now you've got to say the GM's great. And all like, it's just such a dangerous, slippery game that I hate to play. And. I try to be a little bit more reactionary, a little bit more, you know, analysis based with it all, but mm-hmm. whatever. That's for a July podcast. <laughs> all right. Blake says through the roster. I might though, need a bathroom break. <laughs> though the roster is very young and talented, the Colts will need to find long term answers at quarterback, left tackle, defensive end, and quarterback one. Arguably the game's most important positions. What stage would you consider this team? Rebuild is too strong, but it seems like the team has been built backwards from a team building 101 standard. Um, that's interesting, Blake. You know, built backwards. I don't know. I'm probably wouldn't necessarily use that, but I think Chris, what has happened is like, and I think it's kind of a phrase I use more with Joey. But I guess you and I were kind of doing the pod during the draft last year. I'm a big like, how do you pass the torch? Mm-hmm. You know, from the from the 
whatever the what you're hoping for is the Freeney Mathis era would turn into the Jerry Hughes ish era, and that really didn't work out. So I think what you happened in the late Polian, early Grigson era was you started to make moves to create the new left tackle one. You know, Costanzo in 2011, mm-hmm. Luck in 2012, Hilton in 2012. Now, Hilton worked out a lot better than you had thought he would as kind of a late third-round pick. But then you come back in 2013, and Bjorn Werner is that first-round pick after you trade Jerry Hughes. So, like, you were starting to do that then, and now it's like, well, Costanzo, gone. Luck has retired. Hilton, potentially gone. And Bjorn Werner was, <laughs> oh, boy. I, yeah, I don't even, he was literally in the crowd at a London Fan Fest event when the Colts played over there in 2016, which, uh, yeah, that that was not good. Um, rebuild, built backwards. I don't know cars very well, Chris. Yeah. L- l- do you? No. Yeah, I'm not a big car guy. Um, I the Bowen family are big Honda, Honda cars. Uh, if Honda would like to sponsor this podcast, feel free to slide <laughs> in the DMs because you know Honda really needs help. I feel like the Colts have like a nice like seventy five thousand dollar seventy five thousand mile not dollar that'd be really expensive <laughs> seventy five thousand mile car you know pretty good car, um, but like it maybe needs a new battery or new engine, and that might be like really substantial. And again, car people can just totally rip me a new <laughs> one if this town if this sounds horrible. And like that would be the quarterback and the left tackle. But like there's a lot of good other parts on that car. Yeah. So I don't want to like lose that car. There's a and trust me, you guys heard me. I rattled off what the dozen names, um, mm-hmm. you know, last week on, on on the pod, and I won't bore you with that again. But and obviously, I'll never be a car mechanic in the Indy 500, but I'll be in the you know Stan J and I'll be cheering for it. Like, there's a lot to like, but there are a few big parts to the car that certainly need to be changed. So, um, Blake, it's a very good question, and. Yeah, I appreciate you sending it in. A, a part of the car might be coming from uh, Ford, from down from, from Detroit. There you <laughs> that go. Was good. There you go. Well, I mean, is that if that's not chemistry? I I, <laughs> I don't know what what is. Chris Presley with the home run of the day right there. I I wasn't even going there. And my wife used to work for Cars.com. There you go. Yeah, and we got married. The priest in the homily acted like she'd sold cars, which was <laughs> just a good laugh. So yeah, shout out to Father Bob. Great, great individual. All right, this next one's from Cam to the Colts. It says, mark my words, if there's no offseason program, the report about Eason only maybe competing for the backup job is true, and the quarterback that isn't a project doesn't fall in the draft. Jacoby will be the starter next year. I really don't see us giving up anything for Wentz or Darnold, and the free agents would be pressed to learn the limited time. Who, who else has familiarity and is capable – even if it's less shaky, even if it's shaky at times, I should say. Yeah, Chris, did you see those Vegas odds that I put out there l- l- last week? Uh-huh. Um, Jacoby was the favorite, right? Yep. Plus, plus 300, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, that had people. I'll tell you what, man. You write an article about Jacoby Brissett, and yeah, that gets the audience going a little bit. I mean, wow. Um, yeah, it's, um, I'm trying to pull up those odds right now. Jacoby plus 300, Stafford plus 400. Obviously, this is before the Stafford trade, mm-hmm. or um, the, the reports of a trade. Dalton plus 500. Jacob Eason plus 800. Brian Hoyer plus 1,000. What? Yeah. Nope. Pass. Oh, my God. You imagine? 
Yeah, Colts, 60,000 people allowed back in Lucas Oil. Come see our quarterback, Brian Hoyer. <laughs> yeah. I might want You might want to wear a mask permanently, honestly. You had to watch that again. That's like Big Ben plus 10,000. Right. Luck wasn't on there. I didn't see him on there. Um, if not Stafford, who? I mean, that's a very I, – I, you hate to be like that, like drawn, dialed into where you're at right now, but – are you kind of there? It's. I just think for both parties, it'd be good for Jacoby to go elsewhere. I mean, he is. Uh, I know every athlete's like, I want to be a starter. Jacoby is absurdly confident in his own abilities. Like he is again borderline cocky. I think, um, which is fine, whatever. Um, so I, I think he wants the best chance to start. Mm-hmm. And I just, you've already said no to him twice. Like the dude started thirty games. Do you need to see forty six games? Right. You know, thirty games here, like, boy, I'd love to get those chances. I mean, that's those are precious. So I, I I understand it. He's got familiarity, obviously, unlike anybody else with this offense. But you guys have heard me say before, it's part of why I wanted if this if last season would have gone off the rails, I said Jacob Beeson should dress over Jacoby. I've seen it. I know what he got. Let's see somebody else. Yeah. All right, this one's from Tyler who says, this question is potentially a little controversial. Oh, boy. Wow. <laughs> All right, strap in. Preface that in. It's kind of like, let's lock in. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. After some thought, I think we should trade Darius Leonard. Mm. Hear me out. I think Darius' perceived value is higher than his value in terms of wins added. We need He needs paid, and he's certainly going to get paid. Khalil Mack and Jamal Adams both got two first-round picks out of their trades. With the way Ballard drafts, I believe the combined value of two first are better than Leonard himself. I think if he was a corner, you'd say pay him and be done with it. But in my opinion, if we can use the first in a more important position like left tackle or cornerback, and make a significant, it would make a significant difference. I think you save some salary cap, you take advantage of the hype and potential overall valuation of the draft, and draft a linebacker at, say, 85% of the player that Leonard is, and you are still happy. Okay. First off, Tyler, um, I love counter-thinking. I love these sort of questions, Chris. It's why I'm so passionate about involving Twitter questions every single podcast, and we'll continue to do that. So I don't want to discredit Tyler at all. But I, I, I will disagree with the aspect of kind of the early part of the question when he says, I think Darius's perceived value is higher than his value in terms of wins added. I think his perceived value in Indianapolis is higher than any other team in the league. Like, the Colts have made it extremely clear his presence at will linebacker in this defense and his presence as a leader mean a whole lot to Matt Eberflus and Chris Ballard. And so I don't think Seattle or Pittsburgh or Dallas would necessarily view Leonard in the same light the Colts do based off, again, their system which mm-hmm. we talk about those hot spots in the system. Will linebacker and slot corner and the three technique a little bit. You know, Matt Eberflus wants that triangle. And then secondly, again, him as a leader, which, you know, Casanzo not here, okay? Rivers not here. Potentially Hilton not here. Potentially Justin Houston not here. You are kind of – there aren't a lot – I think there are some leaders up and coming, but, like, Leonard is clearly the most up and coming of that, not only vocally, but I think just in his effort and, and, and how he plays. So – um, I don't think you should overlook that. Um, but I just, you know, you got to remember his position and how that is perceived around the NFL. Mm-hmm. You know, Jamal Adams, Khalil Mack, Minka Fitzpatrick. I, 
mean, those guys, it's just a little bit different than how people view an off-ball linebacker. You know, off-ball linebacker, in a way, it's kind of viewed as like a guard on offense. You know, it's just not the premium value. Look at how much those guys get paid compared to some other spots on the field. Right. Like Leonard has put up Hall of Fame-type numbers mm-hmm. through his first three seasons. If you put up Hall of Fame-type numbers at left tackle or edge rusher or corner through three seasons, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, you'd be breaking, breaking the bank like none other. Leonard's going to break it, but he's not going to, you know, set it on fire. Now, I do hear you in, like, it, it, it's not the craziest thought to me because Ballard has drafted linebackers well. We've always thought Bobby Okariki's more of a will than a Mike. But I just think Leonard means too much internally. Um, now, if you're going to tell me you're going to trade Darius Leonard for, you know, the f- fourth pick or fifth pick, I'd you know, you do it 100 times out of 100. But I just don't think, I don't think you're trading Darius Leonard and getting... I don't know, multiple first-round picks back. Yeah. Maybe I'm totally off on that, but I don't think you – and what's the message you send to your locker room, you know? One of your homegrown talent, one of your own, seems to do everything right. That would be something I'd be a little bit worried about as well. This next one's from Trep, who says, I would have to say that our edge rush was the most disappointing part of the season. DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart did an excellent job in the middle, but no pressure from the edges whatsoever with quarterback and left tackle at a need. How would you address this offseason with the edge rushing? Could Carl Lawson be a possible possible fit from Cincy? Do we bring back Houston? I think we get a quarterback and a left tackle of the future. We need to pick them in the first two rounds. You know, Trep, uh, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to do kind of a tiered free agency look, You know, kind of green, yellow, red, and something we've done on Beers with Bone before, but just kind of update that. I'll, I'll probably have Houston around the yellow. Um. Not enough consistency from him to push him into the green. Now, he was available for every game, which I think is notable. Mm-hmm. And the young guys, again, haven't really emerged. But I will say, Chris, this this edge rush group is actually uh, pretty intriguing to me. I mean, Lawson had a huge game against Pittsburgh on Monday night there late in the game or late late in the season. Romeo Cora, a Notre Dame product, former Lion as well. You know, he's a guy that I think is on that list. They aren't ideal, maybe four three fits, but Bud Bud Dupree mm-hmm. is also a free agent this year. Uh, we saw the guy in the you know for the Bucks, which I think this could be a huge factor in the Super Bowl. The Shaq Barrett, yep, again has been very very productive. Matthew Judon for the Ravens as well. So, um, and, and there is Hassan Reddick, who I know has pretty much been a bust for the Cardinals. I think if I'm not mistaken, the Colts are either going to take him or Hooker at 15 overall. Back in 2017, when Reddick, I think, went two or three spots ahead of Hooker. Um, so, is that a name? You know, someone you were interested in four years ago, kick the tires on, a la Rhodes, a la Ebron, et cetera. But yeah, Trev, I, I, um, part of me kind of likes if I can upgrade at edge rusher with a younger, multi down presence, I'd probably go that route. And then if the right one falls to you in, in the draft, certainly, and then mm-hmm. just pray with Ture and, and Banigou and even Taekwon Lewis. And I know Lewis is better than the, those other two, but still, yeah, I don't know if he's an unquestioned 16-game starter yet. This one's from JJ. says, Grixon was 49-31 and 31 as a Colts GM. After four years, Ballard is 32-32. and 32. My opinion is that Rivers' retirement was a stroke of good fortune for Ballard. He has been on the honeymoon for four years, and Rivers' exit will give Ballard three more years of a leash with no pressure. He'll get another stopgap quarterback buying another year or two or a rookie that needs development another year or two. 
In any scenario, he will have he will have more excuses for mediocrity. See the luck injury, luck retirement, Jacoby needs time, Rivers is decent, no quarterbacks we like, etc. from the past. How long before there's any pressure to win in the playoffs? Are we perpetually a year away from being two years away? If you had a four-year honeymoon, Rosie Bode could dip her toes in the ocean each morning after her bottle. Nice gig if you can get it. Hey, Rosie Bode does love the water. Uh, so, JJ, that is spot on there. Um, yeah, I mean... I mean the 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 pressure has to be there, you know. Like 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 we've we've said before in this podcast. I don't call last season great. I call it a, a nice season, um, but I also realize that there are more goals that this organization did not obtain last year that aren't just the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. like winning the division. You know that hasn't been done since 2014. Winning a playoff game, as well. I mean, it's been. I think I looked it up. You know, Colts have won one playoff game in the last six years. I want to say like over 20 franchises have won at least multiple playoff games in that span. Like we aren't used to the Colts being in kind of that bottom tier of that. So I think those are just, again, not Super Bowl goals, but goals in the pathway to getting there that, um, that need to be start to be achieved. What was Tampa? I want to say Tampa was the first wildcard team to make the Super Bowl in seven years. Wow. Pretty sure. Like I think it's been a one or two seed. Yeah. Uh, and obviously Tampa went on the road mm-hmm. for all those games. Now, COVID, you know, I'm sure helped out their ability to win on the road. But still, it just goes to show you not only winning your division, but getting a one or a two seed. And and now, you know, there's only one bye. But, you know, getting a bye, I think, is so beneficial as well there. So, um, you know, Chris <laughs> Chris had that quote, which is a funny quote at the end of the oppressor of, you know, if I take a quarterback, you all get off my ass, this and that. You know, I get it. Making that mistake is very costly. Like, if you if you swing and miss, you might not get that other opportunity. But I think you could also argue, like, if you don't take one, take that chance, or you don't commit to quarterback in a more serious manner for multiple years, now are you squandering some prime years for the names we mentioned on last week's podcast? That's a real con- – like, you know – can a Band-Aid, Band-Aid, Band-Aid mm-hmm. keep you afloat to the point where you're missing out on opportunities to sustain that a little bit longer? Um, I think that's also kind of a fair statement that you got to be honest with yourself there. So, yeah, I mean, J.J., pr- pressure's on. I mean, we've 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 talked about that, I and I guess maybe it's pressure from <laughs> from this podcast. I don't know if it's necessarily pressure from, from others out there, but um, um, I, I do think, like I've said before, I think Chris and Frank are the right people, yeah. and they face some really, really big decisions. Having said that, and these decisions will inevitably decide their fate. Mm-hmm. This is from Big Bama. Will the inconsistent play of Rock of Rock uh, will the forgotten man Marvel Marvel Tell get a look at possibly being on the other outside corner that the Colts need heading into the off season, or do you look into free agency or possibly the draft? I think this defense is a speed edge rusher and a solid outside corner away from truly being a top five defense. Yeah, Big Bama, thank you for the question. You know, the Marvell Tell situation, Chris, is boy, I'm curious mm-hmm. to see what he looks like yep. when he comes back. I was intrigued by the little bit of time he played, but I also acknowledge this dude made a position switch and just missed a whole year of development. I mean, that's valuable time that he missed. 
physically, he's got the right traits, I think. But again, was a safety at USC, and now he's making that switch to an outside corner. But I do like his frame a lot. In no way can I sit here and say, oh, yeah, Marvell Tell, you come back from opting out and you're our starting corner. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I think, and that's why, and I'm going to post it tomorrow to the site, Xavier Rhodes is the most important free agent on this team. Yeah. And I know it's going to cost a lot, but when you had to go into your corner depth, hell, when you had a rock out there, you were getting exposed a bit. So I just – and, boy, you didn't even play Kansas City, and, and and we saw what Kansas City can do when they – oh, yeah, Buffalo, who are your corners that we're going to guard Tyreek Hill in the slot and this and that? I mean, it's – you know, it, it can get ugly quick there. So I like Marvell Tell, but at the same time, in no way can I say, yeah, welcome back, here's your starting job, or here's a starting job, not even the starting job that he had. Yeah. All right, this is from Chris. He wants to know about Nelson's future. Do you think the Colts could move him to left tackle, but it would be temporary for like a year or two, and then possibly move him back to guard? Or do you think that if he goes to left tackle, then you just keep him there? No, I, I don't. I, I, I kind of like that idea by Chris. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily a permanent thing. Um, again, I, I feel like the draft board is going to dictate a whole lot with how the future at tackle is decided. Danny Pinter's readiness maybe a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, if you get – let's say you put Nelson over there for a year, Chris, and then all of a sudden you're sitting there at whatever, pick 26 next year, and the right tackle staring you in the face, yeah, go ahead. And and if that can improve the overall outfit to the line – and maybe by that point Mark Lewinsky's a free agent and Danny Pinter's moved over to the right guard. You know, something like that. So, yeah, I, I could see that being a sh- short term. You know, I saw – um. And I think Stephen Stephen Holder was kind of tweeting about Nelson earlier today, and I want to say he used the phrase um, "moving Nelson to left tackle would be a panic move." And, and I, I totally respect Stephen and his and his opinions. I, I I don't I don't think I'd call it a panic move. I mean, to me, a panic move is like <laughs> handing Marvell Tell the starting job. Like, I mean, Quint Nelson is still a. <laughs> I mean, the Colts tweeted out the stat today. I mean, what, him and Barry Sanders, only all three-year all-pros to start their careers in the last 30 years? I mean, that's effing absurd. Yes. So, again, to me, it's not a panic move. Um, It's something you would have to be taking a risk on because you haven't seen him play a whole lot over there. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I think that there are a little bit other moves that, you know, you could look into of stopgap wise and mm-hmm. I guess Nelson for a year or two over there would be one of those moves this next one's from Danny who first starts off by thanking you for the great coverage this year thanks Danny I appreciate that he wants to know what's the odds of the Colts trading up to the top 15 to get a quarterback and then back into the top 40 to 50 picks to get a left tackle and is that something Ballard would do from his opinion he would trade the first four to five rounds of this draft in the first next year to land these centerpieces and fill other holes in free agency. He mentions wide receiver, cornerback, and defensive line depth. Yeah, it's, um, you know, if you move from, okay, where you at right now, 21, if you move to like 13, that's going to cost you probably your second rounder. So then if you, you want a second rounder, again, under this scenario, mm-hmm. You know, to get a future second, you probably have to give up a future first. I think that's kind of how like the whole future pick thing works. I, I probably wouldn't do that. You know, I try to get a left tackle as more of a stopgap in free agency, and, and still come back and draft one like in the third round, and 
and develop that guy. Obviously, you're you're worried about edge as well. But look, in an ideal world, folks, you'd be able to cross off several of these needs. I just don't think it, it, it's why you sit here right now, Chris, and you think to yourself, man, if Kamoko Ture or Rocky Seen or drafting a left tackle, but that didn't happen. So let's just go with Ture or Rock mm-hmm. or Banigu. If one of them had really shown up for you, now all of a sudden when you look at the five big needs, quarterback, left tackle, I still think wide receiver one. Now, again, I'm bullish on Pittman. I think Pittman's going to be very good. But um, it's still an uncertain mm-hmm. spot. And then edge rusher and cornerback, boy, it, it, again, if Ture or Rock, let's say just Ture, so now all of a sudden you're, you're looking at, okay, we feel good about Ture at edge. We feel good about Pittman at receiver. Now it's quarterback, left tackle, and corner. You re-sign Rhodes. Okay, there's corner. You've got some money. You go stop gap and left tackle. Now all of a sudden you can trade up in the draft and pick that quarterback if you don't go Stafford. So that's where just the unfortunate nature of Ture, Banigou, and mm-hmm. Rock not giving you that confidence puts you in scramble mode where you, you just you can't cross off everything in this offseason. Right. You just can't. Jordy asks, is the Rivers' retirement a blessing in disguise for the Colts? You think this may have forced their hands at something long-term in the draft or via trade? Well, Jordy goes back to the earlier point. You know, did he did he make this decision 100%? Mm-hmm. Now, the result is the result. He's gone. And, again, I hate to sound harsh, but, yes, this is a blessing in disguise. This is, this is great. And great, again, might not be the right word, but... Um, I think running it back with him would have, st- would have stunted things. And that's I have nothing against the type of quarterback and the effort that Philip Rivers just gave you. This one comes from Johnny, who is an avid listener over in the U.K. Loves the podcast and feels like it's always a place to go for sensible Colts analysis. Oh, I love that, Johnny. Thank you. And uh, best to uh, you and everyone else across the pond. So when the Colts signed Rivers last offseason, do you think they did so after thoroughly an- analyzing the potential available quarterbacks in the 2021. It seems to me that Rivers retiring is just another season and uh, after just one season and leaving us in draft no man's land with the picks in the 20s is a very possible outcome. So I'm hoping there's a rough plan already mapped out for the situation. Or do you think the lure of such an immediate upgrade in going from Jacoby to Rivers last offseason was so attractive that they didn't think too far ahead to this offseason and instead will be relying on Ballard's improv skills? Yeah, it's a good question, Johnny. And again, thank you for listening. I appreciate that. Um, I, I think you always have to, Chris, you know, kind of look one year ahead. You know, it's kind of how you look at the quarterback class here in 2021. Mm-hmm. The 2022 quarterback class doesn't sound, you know, nearly with the top-end depth that you have here this season. Um, but I also sit here and think they thought better than 50-50 chance for Rivers to be back for two years now clearly something has changed and again is that the Stafford carrot or who knows um but Ursay sign off is something we need to keep in mind too mm-hmm. of he has say in this and I don't want to lose sight of that um either but yeah I think certainly you always have to think one year ahead with the full notion that a lot can change in that uh, in that time span yeah okay this is from trouble man Kevin love the pod but I'm starting to take some issue with the fans' questions. Nope. Oh. Specifically, the JT draft debate. Why be disappointed in a great production if it's possible if, if it positively impacts other aspects of the game? 
This shouldn't be a grass is greener situation if your grass is already green. Taylor is performing well. It's obvious the offense performs better when the running back excels, and it's obvious JT is doing things that other running backs can't. So why complain? When we took it out of his hands, the offense looked terrible. Why are we debating something that should be used more rather than less when when we clearly perform worse when it's not the primary option? And no, you can't just plug and play a running back position over the course of the entire season. There's a reason you don't start a closer or why designated hitters aren't always in the lineup. Let's not get sidetracked by two good run games by a random in the season. How do we fare the rest of the season? Think macro, not micro. Trouble man, thank you for that. Um, that was pretty in-depth. That was passionate. Yeah. Um, well, I guess let's start there, Chris. I mean, when you talk macro, not micro, I think a lot of that is how people view investing at running back. You know, micro with running backs, you can benefit big time, you know, in the here and now. You can get a lot of immediate immediate production and, and live in a much more of a kind of a Madden dynasty role. The macro is, you know, we're going to have a philosophy where we're not going to invest a lot at running back because championship teams have indicated that you don't need to invest a lot at running back to still get that production. And again, these are all different philosophies that go into roster building. You know, you guys have heard me say this before. Ryan Grixon had the belief that the championship teams that he was a part of with the Rams and the Eagles, they did not invest a lot in the particularly in the interior of their offensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about before, even the Colts, that Super Bowl team, the interior of that O-line was not heavily invested in. Now, obviously, Chris Ballard comes here and is like, oh, boy, w- you know, I'm going to pay Ryan Kelly as the highest-paid center. We're going to draft Quentin Nelson six overall. We're going to have a different philosophy there. And obviously, over time, Grigson realized, okay, I've got to change it up. And he drafted Kelly late there in his tenure. So, Again, this is much more of a philosophical thinking at running back, and I'm okay with people that literally look at the Jonathan Taylor draft pick and say, yeah, probably not what I would do. You still have some people that wouldn't draft Quentin Nelson at six overall. I mean, I feel like we hear that debate on our airwaves a lot. We do. About, oh, no, I just don't think a guard is worthy of that pick. And you know, it's funny, I, um, I was on with, yeah, I was on the morning show last week, and Big Joe was really disappointed after the first set of games that Cam Akers, I think it was only Cam Akers, was the only 100-yard rusher to start in, in the playoffs. I'm like, you don't see a lot of 100-yard. Like Cam Akers right now, at this point in the playoffs, how many games have there been? Two, six, 12? 12 playoff games so far? He's the only 100-yard rusher through 12 games. Look at the 300-yard passers. Like It's just yeah. how the game has kind of evolved to where it's more – running back by committee to get it done, and less of this, here's the bell cow, here's the 28-carry guy. Like, it's easier to take away a Derrick Henry than it might be to take away an elite passing offense. Yeah. So, again, I, I just think that's how people view um, where you're at at the running back spot. And it's it's nothing against Jonathan Taylor. I think Jonathan Taylor is a – you know, that's, I guess it goes back to my Pacer thing of, like, I was always a big team move Miles Turner, not because I thought Miles was a useless player by any means. I just think two bigs and you need to improve guard play to win it all. That's how I look at it or to make a deep playoff run. Now, you've got Karis LeVert, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, wow, now that's the type of guard that I thought you'd want to be getting to move Miles Turner. So now you're in a better situation, I think, mm-hmm. to to make it work. That's how I think people people view running back more as a luxury in today's NFL of like, 
yeah, if we can get a great elite back, that's awesome. But, you know, James Robinson can be undrafted and, and, and run for 1,000 yards. Or Aaron Jones, you know, is probably a better example on, on more of a winning team. I don't think he was a very high pick as well. So um, Jonathan Taylor is a phenomenal talent. He's a great football player that certainly improves this football team without a doubt. But I think when you talk macro to micro, there's people that will sit here and just be like, can you guarantee me that running back is going to be here at age 28 or 29? Mm -hmm. Versus could pick 41. And again, there's no guarantee that this would have happened. But could pick 41 have been whatever, a corner or an edge rusher that can produce for you at that same age? Yeah. Um, But Trouble Man, I appreciate the question. I, um, you know, you can take issue with fans. Everyone's passionate about it. I, I, I don't, I don't have a problem with that question. And I certainly will hear, hear people out and say Jonathan Taylor is a great pick, unbelievable draft pick, and you, that is exactly the route that you should go. Dude, just finished third in the NFL mm-hmm. in rushing. Like that's that's <clears throat> damn impressive. And then the counter to that, people will be like, oh, your biggest win of the year, you beat the Titans by what three scores down there, and Jonathan Taylor had like ten rushing yards. You know, people will you know, immediately counter with that as well. So, uh, running back to me, it's not – I'm probably more in the – I'm not, like, totally anti-running back on day one or day two, as some people are, but you guys have heard me say I'm probably more of a, you know, fourth rounder-ish, and that's just kind of how you operate with that mm-hmm. with that position. This one comes from Ryan with questions about the future of the quarterback for the Colts. He has a little scenario for you. I wants love it. To, wants to know which one you're going to take. If you get Aaron Rodgers for the remainder of his career with an extra late first rounder for the next three years, or you get Trevor Lawrence, but you don't have a first rounder at all for the next four years. As good as Rodgers and the picks would be, Trevor Lawrence would be just too good to pass up for him. What are your thoughts there? Wait, wait, wait. I'm getting Rodgers and an extra first rounder? Yes. Huh. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. If I'm getting Aaron Rodgers an extra first-rounder, I'll package those extra first-rounders, and we'll go move up, and we'll make sure Aaron Rodgers is happy with it. We'll go move up for that quarterback when he decides that he wants to retire. Mm-hmm. So I um, – and I guess I'm only getting Trevor Lawrence for four years. I'm only getting Lawrence for an extra year. Yeah, I, I, yeah I'd go with Rodgers, and, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll make the biggest blockbuster deal to trade up for that quarterback in uh, – in four years or three years or whatever, yeah, I'm gonna I'll, I'll take my chances with Rod. Rogers though is uh, yeah, he's uh, that's an interesting personality to bring in your locker room. Mm-hmm. I will say that. Yeah, you know. Okay, Christian wants to know about the edge rush. It's Ballard's biggest weakness that he's been drafting, and do you see them grabbing a free agent in the spot? The notable ones that he mentioned that you've already touched on some of them yeah. in the podcast: Judon, Melvin Ingram, Bud Dupree, Shaq Barrett, and Gakwe. Levante David, Tyrone Crawford, or do you see us re-signing Autry in Houston and getting a cheaper vet like Everson Griffin, Alden Smith, and Ansa? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think you got to get a little more pop off the edge, Chris, like we talked about. Uh, you know, Houston and Autry, I'm not writing them off as don't re-sign. I'd probably re-sign Autry more than I would Houston. And I know people would, would disagree with that. But um, a little bit younger, a little bit more versatile. I would think a little cheaper. I don't know. But, um... Yeah, I kind of like one of those younger edge rushers uh, amongst that mix. Yeah. 
All right, Colts girl has this question, and is 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 there anyone on the Colts with value you would use in a trade to try and move up? May require a move up twice, once players then picks. So is this the player one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's a good one, Colts girl. Thank you for this. Um, the name that I keep on coming back to, Chris, is Bobby Okariki. And again, I know I said earlier, you know. Would you move Leonard and slide Okariki over there? But it comes back to Chris Bowd is drafted really well at linebacker. And while Okariki is a very valuable part to this football team, you know, can you draft, you know, a linebacker in the fourth round? What what about EJ Speed? You know? <laughs> That's a guy I feel like we just he was a fifth round pick. I don't mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Um I just you know, part of me if part of me or uh, some people have thrown Paris Campbell at me. Hey, what's Paris Campbell's value? You know, right. like, what? I, I just, I don't know. I don't think he carries a whole lot of value. I think he can be a really good player, but that's a big risk for another team to take. Yeah. I, I can't see anyone else, really, to be honest with you. You know, Willis, Blackman, Kenny Moore. No, I I can't trade any of those offensive linemen. You're already looking for a left tackle. True. So, yeah, Okariki's probably the one. Here's a question from John. Imagine Eason receiving the hands-on development in the college at West, uh, Washington instead of with the Colts. Where would he be drafted? Would he be a first-rounder? John, I think it's a great great point. Really, it's, um, you know, when I did the film breakdown last year, um, which we did in the podcast, again, for, for those that can't get enough Jacob Eason and need just injected into your veins a little bit more, check out that pod. I want to say May, June, something like that. We did a really a full pod, I think, on Eason and just – you know, I watched about a half dozen games that he had at Washington as a senior and broke down a lot of that. And I think in that article or on that pod, I mentioned, like, if that dude would have came back to Washington, who knows? I mean, he, he might have gone top ten. Now, that might sound ludicrous to a lot of people, but I think 13 games of reps for him is so, so valuable. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just—he's not going to get that in the NFL. I was thinking about this the other day because I just posted an Easton story. Last four years of football, there's—I think Easton has been available to play like 55 games. He's played in 16. I mean, 16 to 55. Right. Like, you know, it—it—it's the unfortunate nature that comes with that position. You think of like all the could have beens. I think of reps. Of just guy, I mean, Brady. What if Bledsoe ever gets hurt? Mm-hmm. You, you guys just get thrown in the fire, and they react to it a little bit better, or they grow from it. You know, Peyton's three and thirteen his first year, throws the most picks in NFL history. Boom, second season, glorious. Right, and the rest is history. You know, th- there's so many guys that I just think you never truly know, and that's what I was talking about last week with Eason about. There's this puzzle. Jacob Eason is a puzzle. The Colts feel like he found a few more of the pieces. This past year, mental, uh, professional work ethic, uh, classroom, you know, all, all the stuff that goes into being a quarterback. But there's so many more pieces about his physical, like the red jersey is now off. Live bullets, it's real. Show me it. Yeah. That's the unknown. So, yeah, John, it's, um, we can sit here and say if he would have been at Washington and got the hands on and played that final season there it would have pushed him into the first round. But remember, you can't just then equate that and say he needs to be playing right now 
because you're saying that with 13 more games of experience. That That's why he's developed further or why he's grown and all that. So, Terrific question, John. Thank you. Tristan asks, is it safe to say— I know we're going long. Are you good, man? Yeah. You good? Okay, good. I I, I know we've this has been a little bit of a longer one, but in the offseason, I, I start ranting a little bit. That's fine. We just got a handful left. Cool. Tristan wants to know, is it safe to say that nobody, including you, saw Phillip Rivers retiring this year? Is this the most shocking quarterback retirement in Colts history? <laughs> Am I missing the joke? I feel like that's a joke, right? <laughs> Tristan, come on now. I, 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 I assume he's joking, Chris. I don't, I don't, um, I don't know. Um, I was surprised. I mean, I think I, I don't know, in the week before, I kind of lessened it to 60-40 mm-hmm. that he would come back. So I, I had come back a little bit. But, yeah, I, I was still surprised. I thought – I just thought his passion, again, if he did retire on his own, I thought his passion would uh, lead to him wanting to scratch that itch for one more year. And I also just – I didn't know if the Colts would be risky enough. But maybe they have been. Kevin, Chris wants to know what NFL teams might be interested in Jacoby this upcoming offseason, and whose scheme might he fit? Oh, Chris, I'd be lying to you if I looked into Jacoby Brissett, possible scheme suitors. <laughs> um, I mean, I've always said New England. I mean, McDaniels and Belichick drafted him. Yep. And I think we sometimes forget about this about Jacoby. He was a third-round pick. You know, that's, that's high. I mean, it's higher than... Dak Prescott or Kirk Cousins or some other starters in this league. So, you know, what's going to happen in Washington? What are they going to do? Um, what are the Saints going to do? Right. Is it Winston? Is it Taysom Hill? Is it a competition? I don't – do we even have quarterback competitions anymore? I, I don't know. Chicago? Like, yeah, I guess I'm interested, Chris, but those are some teams that come to mind. Carolina, I don't know. Some people seem to be like, yeah, they're done with Bridgewater, but then they've got a top 10 pick. Do they just go there? So, Yeah, it's going to be a fun quarterback carousel this offseason, mm-hmm. to say the least. Without a doubt. Okay, this is from Brian. He wants to know what the cost would be for us to trade for Matt Bryan and Julio Jones. Knows that with Bryan's contract off the books, that may entice the Falcons to move him. But would you do the trade? It's not an ideal situation for the future, but in his opinion, we would become an instant Super Bowl contender, maybe even the favorites, for around three years. I mean, that's a ton of money. Matt Ryan's cap hit, I don't have it in front of me. It's gargantuan. I want to say if you combine those two, Ryan and Julio, it's like over $60 million cap hit. So, I mean, and I think they're both under contract for several, several years. So, I don't, um, yeah, I don't. I like Matt Ryan. I like Julio Jones. I probably liked him a lot more in. 2013 yeah okay let's jump down to steven what will it take to get the number one overall pick and draft lawrence (laughs) steven that'd be a lot man i would say um what five day one day two picks combined first second third rounders it's gonna take a lot yeah i don't know maybe maybe five isn't uh, i don't know Okay, this one's from John. Looking into the history of trade-ups in the draft, it seems like trading into the top five historically has cost teams multiple first and multiple day two picks, while trading up to the 8 to 12 range cost teams two first, if that. If Ballard sees his guy at quarterback in this draft, do you think he will be patient and let the guy fall to 8 to 12, 
or do you think he will give up a boatload of picks to the Jets or the Dolphins? Yeah, John, thank you. Um, trade up, I, I I think you trade up a secure spot, Chris. You know, it's interesting. I kind of forgot this, but I've done a lot more research into like the quarterback you know, s- situations. I forgot that Buffalo, when they took Josh Allen, they first traded up from 21 to 12. They traded Cordy Glenn, their left tackle to Cincy. And then they traded up from 12 to 7. So it's like they got up. They went through free. I think they did that right before free agency started, got to 12. And then they kind of saw free agency fell. So, okay, these teams need a quarterback. These teams. And then they made that next move on draft night and, mm-hmm. you know, picked right after the Colts did with Quentin Nelson. So, Chris, will you pull up the um, the uh, top 10 draft order, if you don't mind? I am, uh, I don't have it memorized off the yeah, top of my head. No Obviously, I've got. Jags and Jets early on, but I want to make sure that we have this right because I remember looking at teams kind of 10 to 20, and outside of 49ers and Patriots, I didn't see um, a whole lot of teams in that area that would be drafting a quarterback. So um, feel free to rattle off those teams whenever you pull it up. You have the Jacksonville Jaguars at one. Okay, I guess let's just go team by team. Jacksonville drafting QB. New York Jets. QB. Miami Dolphins. I think they keep to him. Atlanta Falcons. Gotta think QB, right? Probably, yeah. You're getting towards the end of, of Ryan. Yeah, okay. Cincinnati Bengals. No. Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, is that a no? I mean, is, was Sirianni hired to, to you know, keep Wentz? It's gonna, that's what we said earlier in the pod. It's just going to... Sirianni's Where's, got a lot on his plate. He does. Where's Philly at? Five or six? They're at six. Okay, who's at seven? Seven is Detroit. Hmm. Who's eight? Eight is Carolina Panthers. Okay. Nine, Denver Broncos. Ten, Dallas Cowboys. Oh, the 49ers, like 12 or something? The 49ers are 12th. Okay. I think you got to get. Who's at six? Six is the Philadelphia Eagles. I think that's where you got to get to. Because, I mean, you said seven was. uh, Seven's Detroit. And Carolina? Eight's Panthers. Yeah, I mean, I think you got to get above those two, right? I mean, if you think the three QBs are going to Jacksonville, New York, and Atlanta, that's one, two, four. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, Burrow with Cincinnati at five. You hope Wentz at Philly uh, at six. So, that's where I think you got to get to. Right. Because Detroit's um, taking one. Because Detroit's taking one, and Carolina could take one. Yes. So, you know, if you believe four of them are going to go that high, which happened in 2018, you know, four of them went in the top ten. That's where you got to get to. So, yeah, when you talk 8 to 12 range, John, I think that might be a hair on the outside, mm-hmm. just a hair on the outside of it. All right, two more left. We're going to stick here with this uh, quarterback scenario with Devin, who's a Colts fan from Panama City Beach, Florida. Ooh, is that the spring break spot? Is it is. I've never, I've, not, I've never been, but yeah. that's where everyone goes, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was not privileged enough to go there, but I've heard a lot of water bottles filled with vodka <laughs> at, in Panama City Beach. Yeah, be careful when you roll over the next morning to grab a... Ooh. A drink of water. Yeah. It might Oof. not be it. Yeah, that could be. Oh, good morning. <laughs> Do you think the Colts should risk it for the biscuit and trade up to number two to get Fields or Lawrence, depending on who goes number one? Says, I know it will cost a lot, but when it comes to securing that position with the superstar, can you really put a price on it? Yeah, you, you probably can't put a price. I love that Bruce Aarons quote. <laughs> oh, boy. No risk it, no biscuit. I'll never forget him saying that so many times. I'll never forget Bruce Arians at the Colts Christmas party back in 2012. Oh, what, what, a, what a legend. Um, 
you know, Fields is the interesting one to me, Chris. He's the one I keep on coming back to of just, you know, dream scenario. If somehow the Jets are like, all right, we're going to, you know, Sam Darnold, is, we're going to stick with them. And they do something different. And all of a sudden Miami takes, uh, you know, Devontae, well, the Jets maybe would take Devontae Smith at two. And then, you know, Miami takes, what's his name, the Oregon left tackle yep. at three. And then all of a sudden you're at four and – Fields and Wilson are on the board. Boom. Yeah, do you go up a little bit? And the Trey Lance thing, I'm starting to get a little bit more intrigued. It just My intrigue with Lance is probably a little bit more of curiosity than it is, like, belief. Whereas, Emperor, I don't, I think Fields, I think Fields can get it done. Um, again, a little bit more of a belief sort of thing with, mm-hmm. with, uh, with Fields versus Lance. But, yeah, I, I would, um, there is, to answer your question, with a superstar, can you really put a price on it? Nope. Can anyone name the uh, trade package that the Chiefs gave up for Patrick Mahomes? Right. Can anybody name the trade package that Texans gave up for Sean Watson? Nope. Absolutely. Nope, nope, nope. All right, this last one is from Damon. It says, hello, Kevin, and welcome back, Chris. What's wow, up? that was an old one. Yeah. You can tell, Damon. <laughs> See, again, we a lot of these questions have been, you know, in the, uh, in the old can for several weeks. Besides winning a Super Bowl, what does Ballard have to do to be known as the best indie-era Colts GM? Is he already on this path? Says, I love the players he's bringing in, and I think he hit a home run after McDaniel's debacle. Thanks again, and go Colts. Damon, thank you for the question. Sorry, we're, it's taking a while to get to it, but it's part of the offseason life here. Um, I mean, besides the Super Bowl, I hate to say it, but like Bill Pullian is, yeah, <laughs> he was a pretty good general manager here and drafted several Hall of Famers, which honestly, Chris, looks like he's drafted two of them, <laughs> as hyperbole of a statement that, as that might sound like, but certainly. Big big Q and, and the Maniac are on their way there. Um, yeah, I mean, this is such an unfair question, to be honest with you. I mean, like, Bill Pulling's one of the best architects in the history of the game. Right. So, you talk indie era, obviously, Pullian was huge in that era. I mean, Pulling came in, what? I don't think he drafted Marvin, but I think he drafted everyone else besides that. So, um, yeah, you got to win a Super Bowl. I don't know if you draft seven Hall of Famers. If you draft seven Hall of Famers, I don't know how you don't win a Super Bowl. So mm-hmm. I'd assume that would just happen. But, yeah, Damon, uh, in this league, that's how you're evaluated. So Right. But, no, I as I've said before, and I, I'm going to come out on Wednesday, Thursday with articles evaluating Frank Reich at this point in his tenure here in Indianapolis. Same thing with Chris Ballard. That will come out on Thursday as well. Um, and I, I think that will give you a little bit of a clearer picture on just – what I think of Ballard and Reich through the first three or four years of their tenures. All right. Well, the portion of me stuttering through questions is over. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. I, they, they, there were a lot of them. I, I know it's a, I always throw a ton at you each week. So, um, and, and thank you for all for sticking with us. As I know it's been a longer podcast, probably one of our longer ones in a while, but that's what happens when it's been a newsy start to the off season. If all goes well next week again, We'll um we'll focus more on the defense edge rusher and corner. Want to hit on that as well. Mm-hmm. Senior Bowl week, Chris as well. I tweeted out this morning. Eleven of the past thirty Colts draft picks have come from the Senior Bowl, mm-hmm. and I think without the combine this year, that week is even bigger. So um kudos to um Jim Nagy and the group down there for still running the the Senior Bowl amidst all of this um, chaotic nature. And then lastly, I just want to thank people for uh, leaving some reviews and, and some rates on the um, on the podcast. Yeah. I, I noticed a few of those. So, again, for people that you know maybe haven't done that in a while or are feeling uh, nice in this uh, new 2021 year, we would greatly appreciate 
nice rating and a nice review as well. Anything else, man? No. Like you said, senior senior bowl week. Love it. It's, it's a hand measurement season, as a lot <laughs> of people is. call it. You, you get all these different statistics and analysis about players, and it's like, okay, like, uh, all right. I, know, I already got people being like, boy, yeah, Ian Book, same height as Baker Mayfield, Russell Wilson, <laughs> this and that. And I'm like, oh, God, God love him. Um, all right, man. Everybody have a great week, great weekend as well, and uh, hopefully we'll be back next Tuesday with another edition of Kevin's Corner. He's Chris Presley. I'm Kevin Bowen. See ya.